Yeah, so here's the big idea for today. It's that freedom laid down for family is true life. So it's a team talk. I'm speaking to us as a church, so when I speak about family, I'm speaking about church family. But these truths we're speaking about this morning, they have application for all of our lives, and you can make that application. So what I'm arguing today is this. I'm saying that the relationships that you have are far more important, far greater than your personal freedom. And if you get that right, you're going to experience meaning and joy. But culture is telling us a completely different story. Culture wants you to believe that your personal freedom is so much more important and so much greater than the relationships that you have. And when you, when you value your personal freedom more, you're going to experience happiness and fulfillment. I mean, we've just read it. This patch, passage is teaching us that freedom laid down in service and in love to others is true life. And Paul's writing this letter to Galatians, that text we read. It's a portion of a letter that he writes to this church. And he's writing to a church, a group of people who've been transformed through faith in Christ. I mean, we sometimes talk about that. It can be abstract, transformed through faith in Christ. You know, when you put your faith in Christ, it's, it's totally transformative. It's, it's like when you encounter the life of God, the essence of who you are, that's been lying dormant within you all this time, suddenly springs to life. And when the love of God enters your life, when the Holy Spirit floods into your life, you're a whole new creation. This essence awakens and brings new flourishing, new direction. Now, if you're visiting church, maybe you're not yet a Christ follower, maybe you're looking into the claims of Jesus, you might have always thought, you know, faith in Christ is kind of something that you tack onto your life or, you know, it's a good addition or it's helpful uh, to make your way some wisdom for your life. No, 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 you need to know that faith in Christ, becoming a Christian, following Jesus is life transforming. It changes everything. You experience life like never before. That which is, that which is in you, who you were always created to be that's dormant, comes to life when you encounter the power and the love of God through the forgiveness of your sins. And the truth is this awakening, this empowering, it enables a new way of life. And so what happens is, you know, everyone who's experienced faith in Christ gets gathered together by God's will in local churches, just like this one. And what happens is you find these communities who are living a new way of life, a new humanity that, that's released into the world. And we want to be a part of that. And so Paul, in this letter, he's describing what this new humanity looks like, what this new way of living looks like. And he's saying that Jesus has freed us from sin's power to live a new kind of life. He's saying it's like when you put your faith in Christ, it's like God has a, a beachhead in your life. I mean, picture Normandy, you landing, it's a beachhead. It becomes like a forward base through which the life of God begins to flood into every aspect of our lives. But, Paul says, just be careful that that forward base that it not only does it influence outwards, but it can also be influenced uh, from the opposition, and we can be influenced by the world in which we live. And I think it's important for us to remember that. I mean, as Christ followers, especially if, you know, if you've been here, you've been following Jesus for decades, you know, sometimes we can forget the, the privilege that we have to know God, to be awakened to his kingdom, to his life, to be filled with his spirit, that we can ha live our one and only lives on this earth, bringing God glory, introducing people to his love, 
helping people find life and life to the full through introducing them to Jesus. Yet we also need to remember that we need to be constantly recalibrating our hearts. Doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus, maybe even more so after a long time, we can grow complacent, we can grow over-familiar. We need to be recalibrating our hearts and saying, God, continue to, 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 to stop that inward flow, but let, let the life of God form me. Let the life of God inform me. Let the life of God dictate who I am and how I live. So what does this new way of life look like? He's saying, don't let this new freedom from sin become like a base camp from which to now live a selfish or individualistic life. He says, Paul says, rather curb your freedoms for the sake of others. You can see how we got there. I mean, if you look at that text, Galatians 5, it's, it's there. It's curb your freedoms for the sake of others. I couldn't resist Eugene Peterson's paraphrase from the message. It says this, it's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence, love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. True freedom looks like having a bend, looks like having an inclination towards serving and loving other people. I'm, I'm not just talking about random acts of kindness or general niceties. It's, it, it, what we're talking about here is genuine community, is real relationship where we serve and we love, and when we get served and we get love, we receive these things. And the truth is in Christ, and when you put your faith in Christ, you get connected to other people in familial ways. You get brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. I mean, look around. The people sitting around you, you're regularly coming to this church. This is the family of God that he's planted you in. These are your, your spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers, sisters, you know, younger siblings, your life group, uh, your service group. This is the family that God's planted you into. It doesn't matter language. It doesn't matter race. It doesn't matter background, occupation, story, differences. The blood of Christ runs in our veins and binds us together through his fatherhood. Okay, I know this sounds a bit serious. You might be thinking, where is all this going? This morning, I want to show us why it's so difficult for us to get this right and to live in this reality, but also why it's so important that we do it. I want to build a case for I believe the Bible is right, why it makes sense for my life, why it makes sense for your life. So here we go. The first point in my case is that individual freedom has become our culture's obsession. Our culture is obsessed with freedom. It's the greatest aspiration of our time. I think more than peace, more than prosperity, more than love, more than anything, freedom has become the value that we long for and live for. And, and I get it. Desire for freedom, it's not a bad thing. It's, a, it's actually a good thing. We want freedom from cap captivity. We want freedom from oppression. We want freedom from prejudice, freedom from fear, freedom from hate. It's good and it's important, but it's become our absolute obsession. It's the creed by which we live. And here's the thing. Our modern culture defines freedom as self-assertion, self-expression, individual autonomy, in other words, we want the freedom to do what we want, when we want, and how we want. And no one has the right to stand in the way of our freedom. 
Does it sound a little bit like our culture, the water in which we swim? I think so. Then there's the promise of this freedom. The promise is this. It, it, it says to you, if you can gain more freedom, you will gain more happiness. Here's the equation. Individual freedom equals happiness. So if you want to be happy, what you need to do is pursue things that enable your freedom and avoid anything that limits your freedom. So this is where things like FOMO come from. It's an acronym, fear of missing out. It's what causes especially Cape Townians. I think we're notorious for this in at least South Africa, maybe the world, who knows. We don't like to commit. We don't like to reply to RSVPs until we absolutely have to because we just want to keep our options open. You know, maybe something better comes up. Maybe in the end we don't actually feel like it. Maybe something happens and we want to do something else. So we don't want to commit. We don't want to be trapped. We don't want to be tied down. We like to keep things open. Now, what about accumulating money or, or wealth? Now, sometimes we, we live with that mindset that if we can get more money, more wealth, it means that we're able to do more of what we want to do, more of what we feel like doing, and that's going to bring freedom, and along with that freedom, happiness into our lives. It's not always about the wealth. It's about the promise of freedom, the promise of autonomy that we believe is going to bring us freedom we're longing for. We change careers, we change jobs, we take promotions, we can take demotions so that we're able to set the own rules, that we're able to do what we feel like we want to do, whatever our heart's desire is. Now, I'm not saying we can't work smarter, and I'm not saying that we, you know, we don't need to slow down the pace of life from time to time, that we need to free up life in our schedule. In our schedule. Mar uh, margin is critically important in our lives, and I want to affirm that. But I think if we're honest as a culture, underneath the obsession for freedom and for space and for autonomy is this, is this longing for the happiness that it promises us. So I hope you're following my hope is that somewhere along the line you've had a thought like, yeah, like sometimes I do think like that. Or yeah, I can see that in our culture. I do sometimes find myself buying into that a little bit. And, and where is this all going? Are you baiting me for something bigger? Here's number three, my third part of my argument. We've structured our lives and society around this freedom creed. You do know, right, that we're living in an age of unprecedented freedom, Never before has the world offered us so much freedom, convenience, and autonomy. We, we've got it more than any other generation, and so much of the world is structured like that as well. Mark says, he a, a, a commentates on culture, he writes this, consumerism offers super abundance, a world of products that are only a click away. Lifestyle industries offer vacations, amazing experiences, gastronomic delights. Entertainment can provide an endless supply of music, movies, TV shows, live concerts, premium sporting events, and gaming experience. All of these elements combine to create the buzz, the comfort, and the atmospherics of the beautiful world. They are the industries that fuel and feed our sense of individual autonomy. They provide our pleasures, offering us happiness and stimulation. I mean, this is our world, unprecedented freedom convenience. But here's the big question. Are we really happier? Is this promise of individual autonomy really delivering on its promises? Because I think there's a cost to this freedom. The enemy to this individual autonomy, this freedom, is being tied down, right? It's 
commitment. Commitment is the enemy of individual autonomy. And so in pursuing freedom, we've moved away from commitment. So George Packer, he's a journalist, he's written a book, it's called The Unwinding. And in this book, he describes the process over the last years and decades by which communal ties and communal commitments and the norms of society have slowly been breaking down as individual autonomy and freedom has begun to take center stage. And in his book, he tells the story of 40 people, mostly unknown people, some more well-known people, who are living in this terrain of unprecedented freedom, but are also experiencing the breakdown of, of cultural, social currency contract. And what's happening is people are finding themselves more alone, more isolated, struggling in life, struggling to survive, and they're on their own trying to do it. See, the truth is, as our individual freedom grows, our commitment to others wanes. And there's another equation for you. As commitment to our autonomy, our freedom increases, our commitment to each other goes straight down. And Packer says this unwinding, it actually, it does work. It brings this, this autonomy more than ever. He says, we've got the freedom to change, you've got the freedom to change your story, to get your facts, to get hired, get fired, get high, marry, divorce, go broke, begin again, start a business, have it both ways, take it to the limit, walk away from the ruins, succeed beyond your dreams, and boast about it. But he says this freedom leaves us more alone than ever. And here's an example of how it plays out economically, for instance, in culture. He says this in an interview, we have more inclusiveness. We are more tolerant as a society. He says, more Americans have the theoretical chance of being admitted into the world of opportunity, but we're also more stratified. So you've got growing social equality. Everyone has the right. Everyone should have opportunity. Everyone should do what they want to do and have the freedom to do it. But also, you've got growing economic inequality at the same time because everyone's looking after themselves first, securing their own freedom first, and people are less and less concerned about others. Does it ring a little bit true in South Africa, in our own story? It's alarming, the growing inequality between the haves and the have-nots and what's happening in our hearts. I love this commentary by someone, I saw it on Facebook this week, but it describes our culture so well. Sometimes we just don't realize that we're all in this thing together. We somehow think, you know, if, if I've got my freedom, I'm going to be happy, and, and that's all that matters. No, no, no. We're more linked together than we imagine. In the 1950s, only 4% of Americans lived alone. Now 28% of all households in America are one-person dwellings. And the researcher Kleinenberg, he finds that, that more and more throughout Europe, people are, val are not valuing space so much anymore. They're not that concerned about a garden and a spacious house. They're worried about convenience. And so people are living alone. People are living in smaller spaces, but they're living closer to the things that they need and that are more convenient to them, their amenities. People are shaping their lives around simplifying and easing their own lives so they can experience this freedom and this happiness that promises so much. Now, I think it's true that for us as a, as a society, we're drowning in freedoms, but we're thirsting for meaning. We're thirsting for value, for belonging, for care, for love. Now, I think our, it's evident in, in the loneliness, in the discontent that we see creeping into culture, into our society. 
It's like as our individualistic freedom grows, our relationships wane, and we feel the damaging effects of it. I mean, have we ever seen such levels of anxiety and depression in culture, in the world, as we do now? We're saturated with, with information, with opportunities, with options, choices, but at the same time, we're empty. We're running on empty. I think technology, we all love technology. I mean, it's done a lot of good in the world, and we celebrate it, but with the good comes the challenge. I mean, the truth is the world is real-time connected more than ever before. Almost anywhere in the world, you can connect with someone in real time whenever you want to. But with all the studies that are happening, despite the digital uh, connectivity, there's a correlating increase in loneliness and emptiness in culture. So here's a quote from an article. It says, one of the main reasons cited for unhappiness was loneliness which I find fascinating as we have so many channels to communicate today, but it feels like many of us are lonelier than ever. See, what technology is fostering within us, it's creating friendships, but with complete freedom, void of commitment. So we participate online in social media when we feel like it. When we don't, we don't feel like it. We, we contribute when we want to. When we don't, we just take a step back, and it's making relationships shallow. You know, if someone disagrees with us, we just unfriend, we unfollow, we hide, you know, we pause them, we snooze them, we don't, without ever needing to actually communicate with them, without ever actually needing to have a conversation with them or work this out with them. And when you go on social media, all you get is more of what you already believe and think. You, you just get saturated with more of the same, more of the same, and it's making us shallow people. We're in danger of not learning, especially as younger generations, what it means to be mature in relationships, what it means to work through differences, what it means to have difficult conversations, what it means to apologize, what it means to forgive face to face. I mean, the very thing that's meant to be promoting friendship and relationships is actually destroying the essence of it. The world's becoming more polarized, immature, insecure, I mean, the biggest thing you can do today that's bad is offend someone. You know, disagree with them, believe something different. And when you do, especially online, things escalate so quickly, there's no way back. I mean, that's why I don't engage in meaningful conversations on social media. It's, it's a minefield. I just don't go there. Let me have a coffee and chat face to face. Much rather do that. Okay, let me, let me pull this together so far. We're living in a world that says freedom is individual autonomy. And if you can get that, you're going to get happiness. But as we've elevated our freedom, we've lowered our commitment, and it hasn't made us happier as a culture. We're lonelier, more isolated, left to fend for ourselves more than ever before. Why? Because we're trading in our commitment to each other for individual freedom, and as soon as we trade that in, our meaning and our purpose is walking out the door with our commitment to others. And when our meaning and purpose goes, our joy is sure to follow. So is there a way out for us? Is there any way back? Of course there is. The lie that props the system up also leads us to truth. I think one of the big lies that props up this social network and this value is, is the lie of self-sufficiency. The belief that we have everything we need to be happy and satisfied in ourselves. 
So David Brooks, he writes this, he says, the lie I can make myself happy, that if I just win one more victory, lose 15 pounds, do a little more, I'll get happy. And that's the lie of self-sufficiency. But as anybody on their deathbed will tell you, the thing that makes people happy is the deep relationships in life, the losing of self-sufficiency. So what's the solution? We go back to our text of the day. You've been given freedom, Paul says. Don't be selfish with it. Use your freedom to serve and love other people. And we've spoken about it. You see that line, my brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. When we, get, when, we, when we get awakened to God and to life as it is, the Bible calls it being born again. We're born into the family of God. We gain spiritual family that God's creating, that God's building together. You know, the Bible knows nothing of following Christ in isolation. The Bible knows nothing of following Christ, of following Christ with individual autonomy as a value. They're just incompatible. Freedom is a good thing. Christ has set us free, but it's not the freedom culture wants us to buy into. You know, true freedom, it's not the absence of all constraints. It's not the absence of all commitments or, or putting down deep roots. It's the presence of right ones. You know, you picture a river, a river with no riverbanks, free to do whatever it wants, whenever it wants, however it wants. What's that called? It's called a flood. It's fast, it's shallow, and it's dangerous. It causes destruction. No, no, no. True freedom, it's like living with riverbanks. They're right commitments, right connections with other people, loving, serving others, being loved, being served. That causes that river to run deep. That causes the environments around that river to flourish with life. Let me say it like this. The freedom Jesus gives leads you to the other side of yourself and roots you in true life of meaning and purpose as you love and serve others. Okay, so here's some application for our lives. I mean, what does this look like? How does this work out? I think, I think we have to find ways to simplify our lives, don't we? I mean, we have to find ways to make time for people. I think sometimes we're going to need to lay down some of our, our individual ambitions, some of our individual desires to make space for relationships and for committing and tying ourselves to other people. We're going to need to make decisions that, that help us bond with others and commit us to a relationship with them. We probably need to anchor ourselves into a community of people where we love and serve and experience that. But let me get even more practical. Let me speak about some things that I would love to see us working out, that I would love to see myself and Heidi and our family working out more and more. Here's the first one. I want us all to realize that our home, your home, is a secret weapon. Let people in your home for meals, for tea, for coffee, just to pop in for a quick chat. Don't wait for others. Don't say, I'll do it when someone's invited me. Just open the table in your house. Open, the, uh, open where, whatever, the front door. Let people in. I know if we start letting people into our homes and more and more of us start to do it, this will become the culture of our church that I think God wants for us. I remember years ago, we bought a gas fry because I'm leaving church late on a Sunday. I'm normally one of the last to leave. And I, I 
I want to have lunch with people, but then it's like, you know, it's, I start the fire, and then it's the whole day, and I also want to spend time with my family, and I'm tired. So I thought, let me buy a gas fry. It's Burroughs Rolls. It's quick. It's meaningful. You know, it's two hours, and then everyone's out, and it's family time, but it's, it's brilliant. We have to start asking ourselves. We all eat after church. Why not just include a few people around the table? And can I say, don't go overboard. People don't need a five-course meal to know how awesome your house is. That's not the point. The point is for us just to get together. I mean, make what you're making and just throw a few more ingredients in and, open, and put more ch- two chairs at the table. And that's what it means to start tying ourselves to other people. If you can't do a meal, do coffee. If you can't do three hours, do 45 minutes. If you can't do 45 minutes, have someone around for 15 minutes. You get the idea. We just need to make this easier for ourselves. Take some of the pressure off and make it workable. Here's a second idea. Build some friendship rhythms into your life. So our eldership team has started to do that for the last eight months to a year. Once a month, we, we make specific time where we hang out today. We're doing it after church. Uh, no gas bride today. But what we're doing is we, we're getting together with our kids, and we're just building friendship. We're starting to build commitment to each other where we're really getting to know each other. We're getting to know each other's kids. We want to do life together and and experience genuine, uh, deep-rooted relationships with each other. You might need to to add a rhythm like that into your own life. You know, I used to play a lot of squash, but none of my buddies played squash. I was meeting some new people, but but I realized actually if I want to see some of my buddies, I need to do what they're doing. So now I play tennis. So I'm often playing tennis because that's when I see some of my best mates because we're kind of multitasking, but that's how life is now. You, you need to kind of do things together so that you can, you can find time to connect. You can start a wine club, no, a book club. <laughs> Sorry. Rosina calls it all different kinds of things. But I mean, a book club, it's just a brilliant way, you know, once a month, every few, just to get together, engage with some people. Uh, you can start gymming with some friends instead of gymming alone. How about considering this, what we call a group of three or four? What you can do is you can find three or four people that have a similar rhythm to you in life. So, you know, if you're able to free up, you know, once a, once a month, a morning breakfast or once an afternoon, you get together with three or four guys, people that you know, and instead of just chatting about whatever's on the table, which is good to do, you're just connecting and hanging out, you can actually start to have meaningful conversations around life and around marriage and around how things are really going. You can ask yourself, you know, what's God saying to you through the scriptures lately? How's your marriage going? Uh, you know, any struggles happening in your life? You worried about anything? Any sins you want to share? Anything we can pray for you over the next few weeks? Uh, you know, anything that's really causing you great anxiety? You can just make those connections, make it happen, and once a month, stick it in the diary, and it's going to happen, and it's going to add. I've literally seen marriages saved through groups exactly like this before my own eyes. It wasn't a group I was in, but I've seen it unfold. We all need friendship. I was looking at, uh, I don't know what to call it, Princess Markle, Meghan Markle. Uh, it's been on Facebook lately how an interviewer asked her how she's doing, and she just breaks down. You know, everyone needs care. Everyone needs to be asked how they're doing. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter, you know, what you're doing or how important you are or how hectic your job is. Everyone needs friendship. Everyone needs encouragement. Everyone needs to be told it's going to be okay. Everyone needs someone to listen to them. What about a monthly marriage meal? I know some friends who, as a couple, they get together with other married couples once a month. They have a meal, just the couples, and they literally ask each other, how's the marriage going, you know? You know, like, Fran, how's Lou treating you this month, you know? <laughs> please baby 
But, I mean, it's just, these are things we can add into our life where we're just saying, you know what, our marriage is important to us. If we don't invest in some friendships and in our marriage, but, but it doesn't just happen. We can, we can make those things happen. We put them in our diaries. We tie our lives to other people. Okay, here's another one. Commit to coming along most Sundays. I don't often say this to us as a church, but here you go. I mean, if this is your church, if you're a common grounder, I think it's good for you to know that, that my expectation, that I would expect that you're in church at least four out of five Sundays. It's not a rule. I don't have a clipboard, and I don't have all your names on a clipboard, and I don't take notes afterwards. But, but I'm saying if we really want to be members of a church, if you want to be part of a family, if you want to be on mission with God, we have to be present together, surely. It's incredible to see how attendance patterns have kind of shifted over the last five to eight years. I mean, when I was young, I'd go to church, you know, three times a Sunday. You know, maybe I was different. I loved church. I loved being. It's not unusual nowadays for people to come to church once, maybe twice every five weeks. I mean, it's become normative. I know life's busy. I know life's full. I know a lot of things now happen on a Sunday morning, races and so on. It, it's difficult. But I don't know how we're going to take God at his word. I don't know how we're going to knit our lives together and, and do on the, in our, with our one and only lives what God's called us to do if we're not meeting together regularly, if we're not making ourselves known, and if we're not getting known, if we're not adding to what God's doing in and through meetings like this one. I think if we're going to do what God's called us to do, we're going to have to become four to five week people. We can't be warm. We can't be authentic. We can't be a kingdom community if we're not all regularly committed to being together. What about considering joining a midweek life group? If you've been coming along on Sundays for some time, it's fantastic. But how about 2020 is the year you get meaningfully involved in a life group when you, you know, midweek life groups, they happen on, normally on a Wednesday night. It's eight to 12 people that get together in someone's home, just like yours, ordinary people. And what, what it does is it, is it moves us from being more of a crowd on a Sunday. I mean, it's difficult to build meaningful relationships where you're getting to really get known. You're getting to know eight to 12 people where you're starting to experience some care, some belonging. Uh, people are getting to know who you are. People are praying for you. You're beginning to encounter God in a, in a kind of a smaller community. You start to grow in your faith. You get prayer. You get encouragement. You get a friendship. I want to say to you, consider joining a life group this week. Simon, why don't you stand up in case you missed him? See, all the florals are this side. And other, Yeah. Guys didn't get the memo this week, eh, Collie? <laughs> but Simon's around, and he's giving leadership to life groups, and we're going to set up a kind of a desk soon where every Sunday you can find out more about life groups. If you want to join a life group, if you want to just check it out, go chat to Simon, chat to me. You can chat to Nkulu or Colin, just wave your hands for a second there. You can chat to Joycey in the, in the middle there. Um, we'd love to help you out. By the way, if, you, if you're thinking about leading a life group, maybe you've done it before, we'd love to start more groups. We'd love to have four or five groups in every neighborhood so we can open this, this real community, this tying of our lives together to more and more people. I always think about taking this out, but, but here we go. I know many of you might think if you're in a life group, if you come to Sundays, like every week it's like, hey, maybe I'll go to Sunday this week and Wednesday next week, or you, know, you go to a life group, but you don't come on Sundays. Can I say to us that if you're part of a life group, I would hope that you're coming mostly on Sundays. I realize I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here. 
But I think it's just worth saying to help our life group leaders out that, that you know, Wednesdays and Sundays are so different. And so much of the life on a Wednesday flows out of a Sunday. I mean, we've listened to a message. We've sung together. God's word been opened up. We get together on a Wednesday. We're asking ourselves, just how do we work this out in our lives? What does this mean for me? You know, how, how does this impact my life, my rhythms? And then we, we talk about it. We pray about it. We work this thing out so that it overflows into our actual lives. I mean, I think if you're able to, to go on a Wednesday, to come along on a Sunday, I think that's the firm foundation for you to begin to experience this true life, this growing life that God so badly wants for us. Okay, what about lingering longer on Sundays? We're almost at the end. You know, just make the extra effort to hang out on a Sunday. You never know. You might form some amazing friendships. You might have a conversation with someone that is really meaningful for them. You might experience that meaningful conversation for yourself. We don't have tea and coffee because we don't have tea and coffee at home. That's good. No, no, we, we're trying to create a space where we can hang out and start to build friendships and connections. What about serving alongside some people or some friends? Telling you, one of the best things about being part of a local church is the opportunities you get to serve. You get to love and serve through organized ministry. It's great to come on a Sunday. It's great to receive from God, to hear a good message, but it's also great to, to serve, to rub shoulders with people, to pray with others. It builds us together in incredible ways. There's lots of opportunities for involvement, especially in next-gen ministry, especially amongst our, our, our higher junior school and our high school kids. There's so much opportunity to impact and love these young lives, to shape them for God's glory, to help them find and follow Him. You can find out more at the Involvement Hub at any time. So here we go. I think if we, if we can start to get this right, if we can start to, to use our freedom to love and serve others, I think we're going to experience some beautiful things. I think your life is going to take on new meaning. I think you're going to start to experience maturity, more Christ-likeness quicker than ever before because you're, you're learning. You're in an environment where you're exposed to God's Word more regularly. People are beginning to know you. People are loving you. People are sharpening you. People are speaking into your life. People have the growing courage, and you're inviting them to input in your life that you're not just a silo on your own that's unapproachable and no one can ever challenge you. I think your fear of missing out will give way to peace. I think you're gonna find people to lean on in times of difficulty or great need. I'll never forget this saying. I think it was Rigby that said it. When you stand alone in the good times, you'll stand alone in the bad. Build those connections now. And then, of course, we've read the scriptures teach us that when we use our freedom to love and serve, our freedom grows. We experience the freedom that Christ has for us. God's inviting us to use the freedom that he's brought into our lives to love and serve others. Let's take him at his word. Let's get this right. Let's bring him glory with our one and only lives. Why don't you stand? I'm gonna pray.